Major League Baseball is in disarray after a dozen members of one team test positive for coronavirus. Host of the Daily Zeitgeist podcast, Miles Gray, comes through to take a quiz with us. And BuzzFeed News' Ryan Mack and Craig Silverman are here to tell us about how Facebook's employees aren't so sure the company is the good guy these days. The date, July 27th, 2020. The time, News O'Clock. Hey, everyone. I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Okay, so Hayes, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Gigi Hadid recently posted like basically an inside look into her home Mm -hmm. with Zayn, and it is bonkers, wild. (laughs) I saw some pictures of it floating around. The thing that leaped out to me the most was the dried pasta cabinets? Yes, exactly. Everyone's like, there's a lot of questions about them, but it's basically these, it's dried pasta, but they're dyed different colors, and they seem to be used as more of decoration than for like eating. Right. So I, I'm confused by these pictures. So it looks like cabinet drawers, like uh-huh, the, like uh-huh. we normally see in the kitchen, but with like glass in front of them. It looks like it should be like filled with pasta behind there. People are like, if you open the door, does colored <laughs> pasta just fall out of the cabinets or is it just for aesthetics? It's probably just for aesthetics. And then we've got a bathroom that the wallpaper is basically just different covers of the New Yorker. Wow, that's actually kind of nice. And the color scheme is very nice, but it doesn't look laminated. It just kind of looks like I went into her bathroom and stuck New Yorker covers onto the wall. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't support that. I can't support, however, that giant shower (gasps) and bathtub that she has. Why do I think, I feel like ever since I was a kid, like the peak of richness and being the 1% is just rain showers. (laughs) Yes, absolutely true. (laughs) Which which is funny because I think I could just like go to... Bed Bath and Beyond to get like one of those heads and put it on my shower. <laughs> you absolutely could, but seeing it out there, someone else having it, 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 it screams luxury, especially yes. with the marble around it. It's one of the first things I look for when I'm booking a hotel. Okay, <laughs> that's enough about bathrooms. It's time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. First up, National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien has tested positive for COVID-19, the White House confirmed on Monday morning. O'Brien is the highest-ranking Trump administration official to have tested positive so far. Chief Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow told reporters that O'Brien's daughter also tested positive and speculated that's how O'Brien got sick. In a statement, the White House said O'Brien is quarantining at home, that the president and vice president are not at risk, and the work of the National Security Council will continue apace. And today on Capitol Hill, Senate Republicans are unveiling a new $1 trillion relief package after failing to come together last week. One key part of the plan is lowering the increased unemployment benefit per household from $600 a week to $200 a week. That $200 per week would remain in place only until a state set up a new mechanism where unemployed workers would get up to 70% of the income they'd previously been making. Also included in the package would be a new set of $1,200 checks to individuals, billions of dollars to help schools reopen in the fall, and $100 billion to provide paycheck loans to small businesses. More controversially, it would also include a five-year liability shield to protect businesses, healthcare providers, and others from being sued by people who contracted COVID-19. House Democrats say they've been ready to negotiate, having passed their latest package back in May. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi has already invited Senate leaders and White House officials to come to the table as soon as their package is formally announced. And in Portland, things continue to escalate as protesters demand federal officers leave and the feds deployed there 
find themselves under increased pressure when night falls. Portland is fitting a pattern that we saw a lot in June, where in the daytime, protests are peaceful and joyful. But once night falls, that's when things get rough as the two sides dig in their heels. On Friday, reporters with the Associated Press were stationed both out on the street with the protesters and inside with the federal officers from the U.S. Marshals, Border and Customs Patrol, and other agencies. As night fell, the reporters described a modern-day siege. Officers boarded up inside the federal courthouse as protesters fired commercial-grade mortar, launched fireworks at the building, and pointed lasers that left several of the agents blinded. Outside, the protesters faced wave after wave of tear gas and pepper balls fired from the officers who were inside the courthouse. This weekend, the Washington Post reported on President Trump's belief that Portland can be the culture war that his reelection campaign needs. He's been pushing for Department of Homeland Security officials to highlight the instability in cities for a long time, with one official telling the Post that it's all about, quote, getting viral online content. Okay, two things about Mm -hmm. the relief package. One, $200 a week is not enough. Correct. Uh, Second, can you talk about why the five-year liability shield is controversial? The reason it's controversial is that uh, some critics see it as being a way to keep businesses that have opened too soon from being held accountable for doing so, Mm. basically putting profits on the need to have businesses stay open and get those profits over uh, the health and safety of the public. So that's why Senate Republicans are insisting on these protections to be in place because they worry that if you go to, say, a bar that opened up after regulations said that they could and you can track COVID-19, they worry that that bar could then be sued. Mm. So they believe that this is necessary to get that protection in place, whereas opponents say, no, this is just a way to keep corporations from having to be held accountable for putting people at risk. Yep. Sounds controversial. Yep. Uh, And uh, (laughs) looping back to Portland really quickly, it's really interesting how this process is going on. I saw a a really interesting article from Ishan Tharoor in the Washington Post about how it's starting to mirror what happened in Hong Kong last year, where protesters demanding democracy were being pushed back and pushed back by police until they finally started reacting defensively, which caused the police to crack down even harder and just became a cycle. So I'm watching Portland to see how that's Mm -hmm. gonna go. Casey, what's on your end today? Well, uh, a quick pair of sports updates today because uh, once again, I am somehow our sports reporter. (laughs) (laughs) So baseball's shortened season only just started last week and there are already concerns that it might not be able to make it till the fall. Over this weekend, four members of the Miami Marlins tested positive for the coronavirus. Despite that, they played against the Philadelphia Phillies on Sunday. And then this morning, eight Marlins and two of their coaches tested positive. In response, the league has postponed both the Marlins' next game against the Baltimore Orioles and the Phillies' game against the Yankees. Meanwhile, the WNBA season restarted this weekend, and while other major league sports teams have been taking a knee ahead of the national anthem or wearing jerseys that say Black Lives Matter, the players on the Seattle Storm and New York Liberty took it a little further. When the national anthem played before their game on Saturday, every player on both teams walked off the floor. It's all a part of an initiative called the Justice Movement that the WNBA and the Women's National Basketball Players Association announced earlier this month. All season long, the players and teams are trying to push the conversation forward on voting rights, racial justice, LGBTQ rights, and other social issues. First of all, shout out to the WNBA Mm -hmm. leading the way. Ladies, good job. Uh, And on the baseball front, there's no way they can keep this season going. Oh, I mean, those numbers. And it's just like, 
if you, we're talking about teams that have so much money, so mm-hmm. much protection, they have supposedly tests. They can get right, these tests like at right. a, the drop of a hat. So they have all these precautions, all this money, and still this is happening. I mean, that just goes to show what's happening in the rest of the country that right. doesn't and, have these. And apparently, the Marlins they had they talked about it before playing yesterday, and despite knowing that several of their teammates had contracted coronavirus, there was no talk about maybe we shouldn't play today. Mm, yeah, I genuinely don't know what's going on with that. That's just wild. Mm-hmm. Okay, also on Friday, Hayes, I told you all about how people were pretty sure that Taylor Swift's new song, Betty, might be queer. And it turns out there was at least one secret message in the song, but unfortunately, a pretty straight one. <laughs> the song mentions three people by name, James, Inez, and Betty. James is the person singing the song, Betty is the person they're singing about, and Inez is mentioned by name. Fans notice, though, that James and Inez are the names of two of Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds' daughters. Lively and Swift have been friends for years, and Swift even used James's voice on her 2018 album, Reputation. And since giving birth last year, Reynolds and Lively have kept their third child out of the spotlight. But turns out this time, the Swifties were correct. People Magazine confirmed over the weekend that, yes, Lively and Reynolds' youngest is named Betty. <laughs> I know. When I read that, I was like, come on. Uh, (laughs) Okay. uh. But, but just because that's true does not discount the other theories about the song. I choose to believe, Hayes. I I, choose to believe. And you know what? I think you convinced me on Friday. So I'm going to stick with you. (laughs) I I choose to believe that even if, if this is actually an announcement of their daughter's name, that no, the song is still about Carly Claus. Yes. And also, I still like the gender bending of it, because I think if someone was listening and doesn't know the backstory of James, they would think like, oh, Taylor is singing as a guy singing about this girl. But James is actually the name of one of their daughters. So Mm, true. There's Mm. still a lot. There's still a lot of women involved in this. And you know what? The queer lives on (laughs) (laughs) a sapphic bop. (laughs) When we come back, we're talking to Ryan Mack and Craig Silverman about the internal chaos at Facebook. Stay right there. Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. After 30 years, it's time to return to the halls of West Beverly High and hang out at the Peach Pit. On the podcast 9021OMG, join Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling for a rewatch of the hit series Beverly Hills 90210 from the very beginning. We get to tell the fans all of the behind the scenes stories that actually happened. So they know what happened on camera, obviously, but we can tell them all the good stuff that happened off camera. Get all the juicy details of every episode that you've been wondering about for decades as 9 90210 super fan and radio host Sissony sits in with Jenny and Tori to reminisce, reflect, and relive each moment from Brandon and Kelly's first kiss to shouting, Donna Martin graduates. You have an amazing memory. You remember everything about the entire 10 years that we filmed that show. And you remember absolutely nothing of the 10 years that we filmed that show. <laughs> Listen to 9021OMG on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, this is Paris Hilton. Last year, I revealed the story of my abuse at Provo Canyon School. Since then, thousands of survivors have come forward. Now, I'm on a mission to expose the truth of the entire industry. In this weekly investigative podcast, me and my host, Rebecca Mellinger and Caroline Cole, will examine one infamous teen treatment facility each season. First up, Provo Canyon School. This one is personal. When you first get there, you have to experience girls screaming, locked up, peeing themselves, in the hallway sleeping. And you're like, where am I? Holy heck, this is not what I expected. Listen to Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Facebook is a company that is no stranger to controversy and criticism, but recently a new kind of pushback has come from within its own walls. Facebook employees have started to speak up about the company's policies, and according to a new report from BuzzFeed News, it's leading to an unprecedented cultural crisis. Today, we're joined by BuzzFeed News reporters Ryan Mack and Craig Silverman, who have been reporting on the reckoning happening among Facebook employees. Welcome to the show, Ryan and Craig. Hey, how's it going? So, Ryan, when did you first start hearing about Facebook employees starting to push back internally on company policies? So I always think there's been this kind of external pressure on Facebook, um, especially since the 2016 election and up to, I would say, around the 2018 timeframe with with Cambridge Analytica um, and that kind of data privacy scandal. Um, But with regards to the latest kind of iteration of scandals at Facebook, um, it's really coming from internal pressure. And it it dates back to the kind of late May decisions behind uh, two Donald Trump posts on the platform, the first Mm -hmm. being one on um, mail-in ballot misinformation that Facebook allowed to to leave Bonnet's platform. Um, Twitter, on the other hand, decided to put a a warning label on that. Um, And then there was that second post about when the looting starts, the shooting starts, Mm. um, that caused um, this big internal backlash, um, that post was allowed to live on Facebook. And that caused a lot of kind of anger and frustration among employees who said this was a clear violation of our terms of service, of our rules. We're not acting on it when we should. We need to do something about it. And that led to a lot of people speaking out. It led to this walkout of employees Mm -hmm. and led to this kind of couple months of, of frustration at the company. So what are the main things that employees are taking issue with? Well, there's, there's probably two big buckets to the things that they're really concerned about. So one of them really relates to the leadership in particular of Mark Zuckerberg, but also some of the other senior executives who he relies on as his kind of brain trust, a lack of diversity among them, and also mm-hmm. just the way that they're going about these decisions. And are they bringing in different kinds of viewpoints? How are they thinking about these decisions? Um, and that leads to the second point, which is they're really concerned around the particular area of the enforcement 
enforcement of community standards. So as Ryan mentioned, there were these posts in late May from Trump, misinformation about voting, and then the, you know, the threat of when the looting starts, the shooting starts. And there were a lot of employees, and we saw internal records of discussions who had reported these posts, who objected to the way that Facebook just kind of left them untouched. And, and that's led them to really question the overall approach for how the company is enforcing its policies, but also whether the, the company is ready to stand up to powerful figures on its platform who are spreading mm. misinformation, who are undermining uh, free and fair elections and threatening violence. And I think people, some people are coming to a breaking point where they're resigning from the company, where they're in some cases, you know, saying that Zuckerberg is gaslighting employees or they feel they're being lied to by him. So those two areas seem to be big crisis points. So as you guys mentioned in your article and just now, Ryan, you mentioned there are quite a few ways that employees have been expressing their discontent with Facebook, public videos, virtual walkouts, pressing leadership in meetings and more. Uh, How have Mark Zuckerberg and other leadership responded to these efforts? Well, I think we should go back to understand like that dissent is actually very unique at Facebook. I mean, two years ago, the idea of a Facebook employee being so frustrated and angry and talking to a reporter or taking to Twitter or participating in a virtual walkout is, is kind of unheard of. Like mm. I used to struggle talking to people that currently worked at the company um, for a long time. I mean, they, they had very loyal employees, very happy employees. And just this act of speaking out is, is pretty revolutionary, I guess, at Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, with regards to how Zuckerberg is responding. Um, he's, they're doing these all hands meetings. They've always had these all hands meetings, but he's kind of tried to address some of these questions, um, at these meetings, um, whether that's with regard to the Trump post or how does he feel about the walkout? Um, but even those kind of answers are getting pushed back in Facebook. They have this internal thing called the workplace. That's kind of an internal Facebook. And you have these comment sections that are even leaked to us as well that show like, People are pushing back on, on his answers and they're not happy with what he's saying. Um, and they're starting to vote with their feet. Some are leaving. Um, some are posting these kind of long video messages about their departure. The, the lead of our story is this individual named Max Wang, who was a, a seven-year employee at the company, who uh, did a 20-minute video on why he's leaving and why he doesn't think Facebook is, is necessarily good for the world anymore. And that's, that's really new. So there have been instances where posts were flagged by employees, but the company initially ignored them. Then ultimately, they took them down later. What made Facebook change their mind in these situations? Well, you know, in in one sense, it's kind of hard to know for sure exactly what the decision-making change was. But one thing that we see as a clear pattern is that, you know, they're either not taking action or they're refusing to take action on a post. And then all of a sudden they get an inquiry from the media or suddenly Mm. there's a lot of public outcry. And suddenly a post that they had actually rejected the reports from their own employees is suddenly being removed. Uh, And so it does seem like the company is you know, can be affected by external pressure. And that is a, is a concern overall, because when you hear Zuckerberg talk, he says, well, you know, we want to be consistent with our policies. And so for employees internally, if they've reported something, they're told it's not a violation, but then suddenly the media talks about it and it's taken down. They, they look at Zuckerberg and they say, well, we're not being consistent. We're removing stuff when the media comes to us and what exactly are our policies? And I think that's feeding into some of the con- confusion and frustration that's there. And I think... I think the, the most interesting thing is the examples we had there, right? Um, I reported on a story um, of a white nationalist Facebook page, clearly white nationalist content, 
um, that ran a Facebook ad um, earlier this month. And after our story ran, we had uh, internal screenshots of a discussion that was leaked of an employee who said, look, I even before this BuzzFeed news story ran, I had reported this ad over the weekend and I was told it was appropriate. It, it was allowed mm-hmm. on our platform. Why is it until after this reporter reaches out and writes the story, do we take this content down? Um, and to us, it clearly looked like there was some PR pressure, I guess, for them to act. And that kind of, I guess, waffling on their decision-making is, is what frustrates employees so much. Mm. So Ryan, you mentioned what the environment was like about like two years ago, but Facebook is a very powerful company. While you were reporting the story, did you sense that these employees were at all fearful of retaliation? Yeah, I think like any other company, I mean, if you're sticking your neck out and you're talking about your employer where you work or you're um, sharing internal documents, there's always that concern. Um, We had this uh, internal audio recording of Zuckerberg who specifically mentioned firing employees in cases of leaks or in cases where um, the internal discussion gets too heated, where they end up bullying or, or, or harassing other employees. So he, he constantly talks about this idea of firing people if, if they violate whatever employee terms they have. Craig, did any of the Facebook employees offer ideas about what steps they think Facebook should be taking to eradicate these issues? In the a lot of the internal discussions we saw, you know, there is vigorous debate, and there are people actually stepping up and making some concrete suggestions. Uh, you know, Max Wang, the employee who who delivered that kind of twenty minute video before he left to his colleagues, he he was very clear from his point of view about what he saw as some of the failures of the approach to to policy, which he thinks has become too politicized, too much about appeasing the right and the left, too much about, um, you know, trying to be politically savvy and not enough rooted in making sure that Facebook's own users are not harmed. And so one of the core suggestions that we're sort of seeing from Max and also from the company's head of artificial intelligence is that we have to think about, um, you know, reducing harm to users, increasing, you know, the joy and the benefits of this kind of social interaction. And then the head of AI talked about, we should actually be situating ourselves to defend liberal democracy. So rather than trying to be this sort of neutral party, his view was we should actually assert that we are here to defend liberal democracy and our policies will enforce that. And that's the kind of debate and suggestion that you're seeing happen internally. So Facebook and other major tech companies are facing down a house antitrust hearing on Wednesday. What should we be on the lookout for during that? So um, some Facebook talking points have already kind of leaked. Uh, it looks like they're going to position themselves as actually not being a monopoly. Um, there's things, for example, like TikTok that they're going to bring up. And the fact that mm-hmm. TikTok thrive, is thriving um, is clear example that I guess Facebook is not a monopoly, even though it owns WhatsApp and Instagram and Messenger and all these mm-hmm. other platforms. Um the thing about that hearing, though, is that there's going to be three other companies besides Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. And so I don't know how much time is going to be spent on Facebook itself. Um, so I guess that kind of remains to be seen. Oof. Well, that is going to be for some wild television. All right, guys, thank you both so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. We've got a special treat for listeners for today's Meanwhile on the Internet. We're joined by Miles Gray, co-host of the Daily Zeitgeist podcast. Thanks for being here with us, Miles. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to to be on someone else's show where the pressure is not on me to be lackluster. <laughs> I mean, first of all, uh, y'all had me on the Daily Zeitgeist the other week, and thank you so much for that. I really had a great time doing it. Always a pleasure. Casey, you got to come on as well. I know. I'm next. Yeah, yeah yes. well, absolutely. Love to have you on our, our second rate show. You know, not, <laughs> don't quite have the journalistic integrity uh, of yours, but we try. <laughs> so now for the people who haven't ever heard the Daily Zeitgeist, how would you just, how would you describe it in four emojis? Four emojis. Uh, yes, sir. It would be the eyes wide awake mm -hmm. um, uh, face plus a newspaper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, plus the coffin emoji. <laughs> okay. And then the dove. <laughs> the dove? Okay. Yeah. That one's a surprise. Why the dove? Because, like, you wake up, because I, I always describe it as, like, a woke morning show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. It's like a morning zoo show, but we're tackling, like, pretty significant issues and not skirting around them. Uh, and then I think the other ones are, like, sort of the shock of realizing what the news mm -hmm. is. Uh -huh. And then you turn into a dove, because ultimately you do gain some semblance of peace after listening <laughs> to it, because it's not all Helter Skelter. <laughs> Wow, that tracks. Is there a topic that's like, by the way, near and dear to your heart that you will always insist that you guys talk about no matter what else is going on? Um, it, I don't, you know, I think before the just massive change in the tone of how I think we were in generally wanted to cover mm -hmm. news, it used to be fast food. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I always like, we got to talk about this Arby's thing. We got to talk about this Taco Bell hotel. Because uh, I'm admittedly a lover of scummy trash food, uh, fast food. So that was always there. And then, you know, I think as things became more severe with the pandemic and the uprising since May 25th, I think that has sort of been like, I think there's more important things to talk about. We'll, get, we'll work in the Taco Bell here and there. Uh, but, you know, we, we do also want to we have a duty to our listeners, too, to be able to synthesize the news for them as well. Mm. extremely fair and we'll just know that you love fast food in our hearts oh yes 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 yes, yes. <laughs> okay miles since you're here on our turf we've got mm -hmm. a little game we'd like to play with you we're calling it zeitgeist rewind uh oh okay <laughs> here's how it works we're going to give you an event that was in the news on this date july 27th you just have to give us the year when it happened sound doable Yes, I think uh, as long as it's not too early, but yeah, I'm 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 ready for anything. I'm ready. We're gonna, for give, it, we're gonna give you multiple choices on okay. this one. So okay. okay. First up, breaking news from France: Robespierre has been arrested after <laughs> encouraging the execution of more than seventeen thousand enemies of the revolution during the terror. Did this happen on this day in A. seventeen seventy six, B. seventeen ninety two, or C. seventeen ninety nine? Seventeen ninety two. Wow. Bam. No okay, hesitation. You guys, you guys can't see Miles right now, but he was posed. He, he was ready. He was, he was just, zen about it. He was extremely yeah. zen. It was scary. I had to go. I had to go into and I have my hands clasped in front of me. There is no cheating. There's no Googling going on. <laughs> I am, exactly. Is, I like I proudly, I like that. proudly passed my AP European history test. So <laughs> shout out to Mr. Grant for giving me that knowledge of the reign of terror of Robespierre. <laughs> okay, next up. The House Judiciary Committee has voted in favor of the first article of impeachment against Richard Nixon, charging him with obstruction of justice. Was that in A, 1974, B, 1975, or C, 1976? Oh, this is, ah, oh, this is my one. <laughs> I'm going to just have to go wild and go with C. 
1976. It was actually A, 1974. But you know what? You were you were within a three-year span. So you know yeah. what? It's okay. Right. It was a cluster. Yeah. You had to like <laughs> guess in there. It's okay. Another, I, I did another uh, time-honored test-taking tactic where they're like, you know, in multiple choice, C is oftentimes the right answer. So if you're just throwing up a Hail Mary, go with C. Okay. Next up. The Korean War is technically over. The U.S., North Korea, and China have signed an armistice agreement halting the fighting. What year was that in the zeitgeist? Was it A, 1950, B, 1951, or C, 1953? Oh, man. I hesitation. Should know this. <laughs> I'm going to have to go. See, now I'm like second-guessing my other tactics because, again, I'm, uh, you get me with these clusters. This is some fine-tuning here. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with... Uh, C, 53. Yes, when in doubt, go with C. (laughs) Yes. I was like, it was right before my dad was born. He was born in 54. Mm -hmm, And I'm like, mm -hmm. I know that much happened because my grandfather (laughs) almost fought in the Korean War. And okay, but Mm. it all... This is, I don't even mean to give you all the, the no, roadmap I of want my it. mind, I want but to know. you know, that's now I know I when you're Now I know when your dad was born, and I think that's now important information. I know how old your dad is. <laughs> okay, now you can well, never use that as a security question ever. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. <laughs> okay, last one. On June 27th, the short film A Wild Hair premiered in theaters, introducing the world to Bugs Bunny. What year was that? A, 1935. B, 1940, C, 1945. Ooh, I want to say, I'm going to go, I feel like he's a depression era creation. So I'm going to say 35. No, it's actually B, 1940. Yeah. I have to go. I've thoroughly embarrassed myself. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> no, 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 Miles. You got two out of four right. And you know what? Good job with that. We did yeah, not make this so easy on you. It was not easy. And I learned a fun new tactic for when Hayes quizzes me randomly throughout the week. And it's always yeah. go with C. <laughs> always go with C. So for the people out there who want to listen to the Daily Zeitgeist, how do they do so, Miles? Oh, I mean, uh, I guess at this point, you would probably use the same tactics you've used to listen to this show. So uh, use your podcasting application and search for our show, The Daily Zeitgeist, uh, and subscribe there. Uh, I would love to have you all listen to our show. And yeah, it's, you know, we do sort of what you're, you're hearing now, except in a more sloppy way. <laughs> Miles Gray, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. That's it for today. Join us tomorrow for a look at the spy scandal that's become the latest friction point between China and the U.S. And remember, they'll take Betty being a queer song from my cold, dead hands. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Hello. Hello. Hi. Oh my God, I want to come through the screen and hug you. Hey everybody, Jessica Zor here, also known as Vanessa Abrams on Gossip Girl. I am so excited to share my new podcast with you guys. It's called XOXO and it's a walk down memory lane all about Gossip Girl. I'll chat with some of the cast, crew, fans of the show, and I'm just so pumped for you guys to go on this journey with me. Hi, I'm Ed Westwick. I played Chuck Bass. Is this Michelle Trachtenberg? I'll never tell. Hey, I'm Taylor Momsen, and I play Jenny Humphrey. Hi, I'm Sebastian Stan, and I played Carter Payson. 
That was one of the reasons I liked the character Jenny so much is that she was very relatable. The whole thing was such a joy for me to do. And I was just so thankful that people responded the way they did to what we were doing. This really was just like wonderful. I like have like warm feelings inside. Yeah, me too. I'm giving you air hugs. Listen to XOXO on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Robert Sex Reese, host of the Dr. Sex Reese Show. And every episode, I listen to people talk about their sex and intimacy issues. And yes, I despise every minute of it. I yeah. mean, she, she made mistakes too. Right? That's I mean, true. She, she did she, kill everyone at her wedding. But hell is real. We're all trapped here. And there's nothing any of us can do about it. So join me, won't you? Listen to the Dr. Sex Reese Show every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council.